Good morning, everyone. I am going to uh, invite you to grab your beverages and come on back in and take your seats far, far from the front where all uh, of you are sitting. Uh, my name's Brad. If we haven't met, I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. It's our privilege to have you with us. And this morning is a great time. If you are new or visiting with us, uh, it's an excellent time to be jumping in because we're starting a new series this morning. And uh, we asked a couple of weeks ago, what are areas in your life that you feel stuck in, in some way? And uh, I love the, the image that, uh, that Jared put together for us for this series uh, because sometimes that, that feeling of being stuck in your life to me feels exactly like uh, a turtle that's upended on its shell. And no matter how hard its little legs work to try and get it back, flipped over and moving in the right direction, you know, without some assistance, it just doesn't kind of get there on its own. So uh, over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking together at things that you proposed to us as areas in your life that you're wanting some traction in, in some significant ways. And so we're going to look to the scripture and get a sense of what God says about those areas in our lives and hopefully help you get some traction in some key areas in your life. So a few weeks ago when we were exploring this, we put out sticky notes and asked you uh, that question and we put it out on our Facebook page as well. In what areas of your life do you feel stuck? And so based on your contributions, these were kind of the top ones that we called uh, together. So one of the first ones, and it came up in different ways and different languages, I just feel stuck, like I know what I should do, but I'm not really sure, and I, I've never actually just started doing it. So I'm kind of stuck, and so I just feel a little lazy is sort of the way that a few people chose to express it. I'm in a rut. I kind of have lost this sense of um, any capacity to do something uh, about it. I just feel like I'm going through the motions of my life was a, a way another person expressed it. Uh, so we're going to look at that together this morning. Another thing that came up over and over in people's responses was saying, I just feel stuck in this cycle, like a little hamster on a treadmill. I just... I feel busy all of the time, and it's more than my calendar. Like, there's just something deeper in my soul that's happening there, and I just don't know how to untangle that uh, in my life. And so we're going to look at that next weekend together. On May 19th, we're going to uh, look at, a lot of you talked about, I just feel stuck like my connection with God feels like it's just, there's a dryness there, there's a staleness there's some level of disconnect in some way. Uh, I just I want to explore that a little bit more. And so on the long weekend, we're going to talk together about uh, various spiritual pathways, historical practices that people have used throughout uh, the history of the church to try and navigate that question of what do you do uh, when that feels stale or dry. Uh, a lot of you said things like, I feel stuck just in the same thing in my life over and over and over again. No matter how many times I feel like I work at this particular issue for me, it just keeps coming up again and again and again. I'm stuck always giving into temptation in this area. And I just 
I'm not sure. I pray for forgiveness. And then I feel, Lord, can we never do that again? And then like two days later, same thing, two hours, two minutes later. So we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that towards the end of May. Then in June, we're going to talk about uh, letting go of control and trusting God with the future. A lot of you said things like, I just, when I think about my life, and when I think about things that God might be asking me to do, it just, I feel stuck because I'm really not even sure where to get started in that whole process. Looking at the future, for me, just feels very ambiguous, and I just have no traction around that whatsoever. And we're going to explore some of the myths and uh, preconceptions around probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Old Testament from Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, Then on June chapter 9th, uh, the thing that came up, but a lot of you were, uh, wanted to make sure that it was submitted anonymously, was saying, I'm just stuck financially. Like debt, I just can't get ahead. I feel like this is an area in our life, in our culture, that um, I just don't have any practical traction in this area of my life. And one of our core values is generous living, and nothing kills generous living like debt. And so we're going to talk about that uh, when we get together in June And then uh, we will wrap up the series, and Pastor Keith and I will do a team teaching morning together on exploring the idea of people saying, I just, I feel stuck because I'm not sure that I'm I'm connected. I just feel unconnected with a community of people around me. I feel unconnected with uh, the church. I feel, I'm just not 100% sure what to do uh, about that. And I know that I should be doing something about it, but I just feel stuck in terms of strategies in that way. So we're going to explore some different ways of belonging, and hopefully that can be helpful to you. So that's kind of where we're headed with uh, the series, and hopefully those will be some things that resonate uh, with all of us to one extent or another. And so I'd invite you to pray with me as we begin our look into God's Word this morning. And there's a number of concerns in the life of the church, uh, individuals and people that are going through some deep water. So I'm just going to pray for them uh, on their behalf publicly as well. And just you can join me in prayer. And if you've got your journal with you, just write their names down and keep them in prayer throughout uh, the course of the week too. So God, we uh, come to you this morning and we acknowledge that all of us in one area of our life or another are kind of stuck. Um... Some of us are more willing to admit it than others. Some of us are more willing to engage in trying to actively think about some solutions to this. Some of us maybe aren't even aware that we might be stuck in these areas. And so, God, I would ask that over this course of our time together, both this morning and throughout this next season, for us as a community, you would shape us, Father. You would nudge us and get us unstuck individually and also collectively in areas that we're just spinning our wheels in. We know that you would desire to do that by your spirit, Jesus. You would desire to speak to each one of us. And so we open our hearts up to that possibility. We open our ears up to hear from your word, a truth from your word this morning. We open our lives up to each other to allow a community to speak into our lives about some of these areas. And Father, we pray for those uh, in our community that are uh, stuck and experiencing things that are just a deeper 
place of pain for them. We pray for Herta Thiessen and her ongoing cancer treatment. And Father, we pray that your uh, healing hand would be on her. We pray for Al, her husband, as he walks with her through this whole journey and for us as a community that you would gift us with creativity as we do that as well. We pray for uh, Curtis Cottrell and uh, over on the island with his dad who had an unexpected heart attack this last week. We thank you for your uh, hand of healing on his dad's life. In the midst of that, we pray that you would gift Curtis with words of wisdom and grace to support his family and his father in that. Uh, we pray for Deb Kaplan as she's over uh, in Turkey traveling right now. We pray for those who have gone out from this place on mission to all different parts of the globe. And as they're um, getting settled in, we think about a family that's gone to Central Asia with MB Mission that's just getting settled in there, Father, from among us. We pray uh, for your hand of protection. We pray for your hand of grace on their home and on their lives. And so, God, we're grateful. Uh, there's many other things and many other individuals and needs that are known and unknown. None of them are unknown to you. And so we're grateful uh, for the work of your Spirit in bringing to our mind uh, those that you want us to lift to you in prayer and in communication. And so we do that here corporately today, and we commit as you bring them to our minds to doing it throughout the course of our weeks and our days. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you, um, maybe you don't identify strongly with any of these topics, but as we begin to our, our exploration together in this Stuck series, I want to ask you to think about your life and think about the question, do you ever feel like in your life that you're on autopilot in some way? The monotony, the routine dynamic of your life just takes over and you feel like you're going through the motions in either one area of your life or maybe a whole, whole swaths of your life. You feel that sometimes. Sometimes uh, I find this with my driving, public confession time. So uh, sometimes you ever find when you're driving somewhere and you're deeply engrossed in thinking about something else, all of a sudden you show up at your destination and you think, I don't really remember getting here did I run any red lights? Well, I'm pretty sure I was paying attention to the general flow of traffic when I was driving here. Uh, I remember one time when I lived in Ontario, I was a camp counselor, and uh, so we'd been through a fairly intense summer, and, and the camp was wrapping up, and I was going to go and visit my grandparents in uh, Muskoka in Ontario. So it's about a six-hour drive from where we were. So we finished up a long week of camp, and I decided on Saturday night, Right after camp, I was going to leave and make the drive all the way up to Muskoka. So I don't know what time I left, probably 11 o'clock, almost midnight by the time I got out of there. And I thought, I'll just keep driving. I'm totally fine. I'm, I'm still hyped on adrenaline from being at camp all summer. So I got in my car and drove all the way across, got back into the border, across the border in Canada. And how many of you have uh, lived in Ontario at some point? Okay. All right. We love you. Jesus loves you. You know, be free. Um, we accept the Lord's healing in your life. Um, I lived in Ontario for all of my teenage years, and so I drove, you know, the bridge that goes uh, in Hamilton, the Skyway, the, the, the QEW, big 
mammoth bridge, multiple lanes of traffic. I drove that every day to and from work for, for a number of years. And so I can remember this one time approaching the bridge and what, I, this is probably about two in the morning by this time, I, I just closed my eyes like just to kind of blink, you know, and when I opened my eyes, I was in the far left lane when I closed my eyes. When I opened my eyes, I was about five minutes on the other side of the bridge. And I, I have no, I did not open my eyes for that entire time driving. And it was so routine, that route to me, that it just kind of, I knew exactly where the curves of the bridge were, like each one. I do not recommend this, by the way, at all. Do not try this. Like, I'll just see if, how well I know the traffic lights on 200 Street to drive down on your way home from here. This is not pastoral advice. Do not receive it as such. But that was so routine to my system that I, I could literally, we have an expression for this, right? What's it called? Something that's so routine, you do it in your, in your sleep. I drove for five minutes in my sleep. Now, when I woke up, when I went to sleep, I was in the far left-hand lane. When I woke up, I was on the right-hand shoulder heading for the ditch. So this is, you know, quick overcompensation, get back in there, <laughs> heart's beating, adrenaline's pumping. I'm like, I need some coffee or something. <laughs> this is not a good plan in any ways. But I realized that it was so routine to me that I, I had driven fully on autopilot through that whole section of it. And the interesting thing to me is that sometimes in, in our lives, we can be so disengaged because of the routines and the motions that we go through that this can happen to us in almost any area of our lives. Sometimes we go into autopilot and we're not even aware that we've gone into autopilot. Author Margaret Feinberg recently posted this question on her blog, do you ever feel spiritually asleep? And she asked people to respond to a whole grouping of statements mentally as a bit of an assessment tool. I'm going to put the statements up because I think some of them are helpful for us to wrestle with this morning. She asked things like, do you find yourselves becoming more task-focused and task-oriented than God-oriented? In Kids at the Ridge, they were talking about this uh, two weeks ago, and they were talking around the story of Mary and Martha. And Ruth Ellen was telling me this last week that midway through one of the games, one of the little guys in grade three came to her and said, oh, I get it. I get the whole point of the game and the story. Can I say it? Can I say it? Can I say it? Yeah, you can say it. The point is we're all too busy. Like, yep, that's good. In the mouths of children. Pastor Keith's going to deal a little bit with that next week in our topic. But sometimes, you know, you find yourself going to sleep when you become more task-oriented than God-oriented. Do you expect God only to reveal himself in ways that are comfortable or familiar to you? And if something kind of is outside of that comfort zone, you think to yourself, well, no, no thanks. I'm, I'm not really interested in that. What if God wanted to surprise you in some way? Would you even allow him to do so? Another maybe litmus test, sectioning off areas of your life from God and just saying, no, God, I'm not interested in having you play in this area of my life at all. I just would like to leave you to leave this part alone. It's just on autopilot and don't touch it in any way. What about hearing God's voice 
refusing to respond, saying no. God, I don't care what it is, I'm going to say no to you about that particular issue. Number one, asking, what can I get out of this rather than what I can give into this? Skipping prayer altogether, finding yourself rushing through scripture reading, not really reflecting in any way, just like they gave me a bookmark, I'm going to get it all checked off so somehow I can hand it in and Pastor Keith can feel proud of me that I'm doing my spiritual duty. Unplugging from Christ-centered community. Giving up on the idea that God could do the miraculous. Oh, maybe he does it in other people's lives. Maybe he's done it in my life in the past. Maybe he does it in other parts of the world, but certainly not in my life, certainly not in our midst. Believing that God could do those things in other people's lives. Harboring anger at God and refusing to talk honestly to him about it. Choosing habitual sin rather than exploring what it might look like to live in freedom. Living without any sense at all of divine expectation. Just routine, monotony. Sunday at 10.30, I suppose I should show up. Convincing yourself that some things are impossible even for God. Those might be a sense that you're spiritually asleep. And there might be other questions that we could explore together too. Feinberg continues and says this, we were created to experience and designed to experience wonder. Woven into the very fabric of what it means to be a human being is an innate ability and desire for wonder and the wonder of God. It's felt in those moments where you watch the sun melt beyond the horizon, when you reach out and cradle a baby and smell the sweet scent of new life, when you can't help but smile as two wrinkled old souls renew their vows to each other. Such moments remind us of the fact that we were made for more. We were made for more than carpools and coffee breaks and deadlines and debts. And despite God's desire to astound us with wonder upon wonder, life just pulls us in so many directions and distracts us by so many other things. The demands of our lives, the necessity of paying our bills, the pressures of work or church, the need to support people and our families and community, the possibility of earning that, finishing that degree. All too often we find ourselves with our heads down, just pushing ahead and trying to get through. And somewhere along the way, a gap begins to develop between God and us. And and this drift takes place. We become less and less aware of God's presence in our lives, and worse, we become less expectant of it. And even when God does reveal himself, we don't recognize it. We pass by asleep, everyday wonders, not even aware of all the things that are happening around us. Some of you can probably relate to that at some point in your life, maybe even now. But the good news about this is that being stuck on autopilot is, to a certain extent, normal. It's natural for our lives to to gravitate towards that kind of of routine. 
It happens to every one of us at one point in our lives or another. And the really good news is that getting unstuck from that kind of spiritual slumber is described for us in the Scriptures. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, to chapter 29. Let me set a little bit of the scene for us here. The book of Isaiah is named after a prophet who came onto the scene in ancient Israel at a very, very low ebb in the life of that particular community in their history. For generations, when Isaiah had showed up already, God's chosen people had been just drifting off course, sometimes very intentionally, sometimes just by habituation over time. And they've been on autopilot in the worst possible way. And so finally, in the year 701 BC, the nation of Assyria, one of the most brutal, ancient, dictatorial regimes in the world and their time, brought their army against the capital city of Jerusalem, captured all of the outlying cities, and finally amassed their army against the city of Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And the story of that siege can be found in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. You can read that at home uh, this week if you're interested in that story. And in Isaiah chapter 29, Isaiah is addressing his message to those who are stuck inside of Jerusalem during this siege and trying to help them recognize that they're asleep. Isaiah chapter 29 Verse 13, in particular, addresses this issue. Isaiah says, speaking on behalf of God, the Lord says, these people say they're mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me, it's nothing but man-made rules learned by rote, Routine upon routine upon routine. And see, the problem that Isaiah is trying to speak to here with these people is multivalent. And it still lives in your heart and mind some 29 centuries later. You see, the people of Isaiah's day, they think that the problem in their world is militaristic and political. They think it's out there somewhere. That this, is, that this Assyrian army has come against them because somebody's messed up somewhere and their king hasn't paid the right tribute and all these types of things. And so uh, the king, actually, Hezekiah, actually reaches out to uh, the nation of Egypt and says, come and help us, get rid of these Assyrians, another world power in his day. But God, through Isaiah's words, points the diagnostic tool in a different direction and says, you know what, the problem isn't out there somewhere. The problem is in here. You see, the problem is their apathy. The problem is they've lost all traction, not because what's going on on the outside, but precisely what, because of what isn't going on on the inside. Throughout the whole of this chapter, and in fact, most of the book of Isaiah, God keeps coming back to this theme again and again. God says things like, you guys go on year after year after year through the motions and through this big show of things. You put on these big ceremonies and everybody comes together and worships God. And you know what? You have these big religious observances and feast days and you go through all the motions and put on this big show. 
And even, you know, when you gather verbally, you affirm all of these things to be true. You say, oh, how much you love me and worship me through all this music and all this talk. But you know what? Inside, your heart is so far distant from that external reality. It's just going through the motions inside. Your worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Just memorize it over and over and over and over again. It's degenerated, God says, into a total farce because it has nothing but external show to it. And there's no connectivity with the heart. And in fact, sometimes the external show props up and perpetuates this mask and masks the reality that in our hearts there's nothing going on. It's, it's not that hard, if you've been around Christian community for that long, to learn how to fake that your heart is totally in it. You just have to show up if you do something like raising your hands and closing your eyes at times when other people are doing it. And, or if you, like somebody's praying out loud and you nod and you say, mm-hmm, yes, yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. Or you just sing all the lyrics that they put up on the screens. Like, it's really not that hard to fake it from an external perspective. You might show up physically, but maybe emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you checked out a long time ago. Your heart has left the building, and you've been on autopilot, God says to these people. You've been continuing to honor me verbally, over and over and over again. It's verbal, but it's not genuine in any way, shape, or form. I think the troubling reality here in this verse is that it resonates not just to the people that Isaiah was speaking with, but it resonates prophetically to us and disturbingly to us as well. Because there are many, many, many people whose religion is lip labor only. See, the the contemporary religious structures and scene in the Western world have made it very, very easy to show up once a week for 90 minutes, look the part, act the part, say your part, drift off to sleep for the other 10,080 minutes of your week, and no one could be the wiser. There are many whose religion is a lip labor only. It's pretty easy to convince ourselves, I showed up on Sunday, what more could God and others want from me? Well, the first part of that verse might give us a strong clue because Isaiah is quite clear here. These are people who in their, in their own verbiage, they are declaring and saying that they belong to God. And so I think one of the warnings in this text to us is that it's very dangerous and don't pretend that you and God are really chummy if you're only willing to give him from your neck up. Isaiah's scathing critique is reserved for people who say that their hearts belong to God, that their heads belong to God, their hands belong to God, their wallets and resources and time belong to God. So a clear distinction that we can make is, if you don't mean it, don't sing it, say it, or sign it. 
I think that's one thing I really love about Jericho, is that this is a safe place for you to be a seeking skeptic. We don't ask you to pretend here. You can ask good questions, wrestle with truth, process things, ask, observe, explore things. Be sure that you know what it is that it means to be a follower of Jesus, not just a person who says they're a Christian. Because we have a word for that in our language, and it comes up right in verse 14, which we'll get to in just a minute. People who on the outside are saying one thing, but their lives really don't align with that. So this critique in Isaiah 29, 13 is aimed at those who put their lips into service, but whose hearts remain closed and off limits to God. They're on autopilot. And some of them don't even remember when they flipped the autopilot switch on. So in verse 14, God lets them know what his solution is going to be for this particular reality. He's going to help them disengage their disingenuousness. He's going to cause them to be wonderstruck. Not the Taylor Swift perfume. Not the great book by Brian Seltzner. God is going to strike them with wonder in the sense that he's going to intervene in their lives and in their circumstances in a way that causes that autopilot switch to get flipped off. Look with me at Isaiah 29, verse 14. God says, because of this, because these people are on autopilot, I will once again astound these hypocrites with amazing wonders, wonder upon wonder, he says. The wisdom of the wise will pass away. The intelligence of the intelligent will disappear. You see, what ends up happening is described for us in Isaiah chapter 37. The people of Israel and Hezekiah the king finally decide, you know what? We don't have another hope in this situation of Assyria. They've got us surrounded. I guess the only thing left for us to do is to cry out to God for help. And so the king sends a message to the prophet Isaiah and says, what should we do? And Isaiah says, I'll ask God. We'll see what he says. And God says, you know what? I am going to do something so amazing that the wisest person in your little city could never have fathomed it. And all of the intelligent plans that you have, what if we did this, what if we could do that, oh, if we could get out of this here, maybe we can make a deal with them, maybe we could do this. I just, I'm going to blow that all out of the water. And so in Isaiah 37, 36, it says that night, the angel of the Lord goes out. The night that they actually decide to approach God for his help, the angel of the Lord goes out into the Assyrian camp and kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And so the next morning, the Assyrians wake up and they cannot figure out what's happened because nobody knows what's happened. 185,000 people in their army are dead. And the surviving soldiers wake up to find corpses everywhere and they are so freaked out, as I would be, they decide the only reasonable option is to pack up camp and head home. And they hightail it back to Nineveh and they never come back to the city of Jerusalem again. God's amazing intervention is described in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 5. God says to his people, Suddenly 
Your ruthless enemies will be crushed like the finest of dust. Your many attackers will be driven away like chaff before the wind. Suddenly, in an instant, I, the Lord of heaven's armies, I will act for you with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and storm and consuming fire and all the nations fighting against Jerusalem, yet they're going to vanish like a dream. Those who are attacking her walls, they will vanish like a vision in the night. It'll be like a hungry person, dreams of drinking, but still is faint from thirst when morning comes. So it will be with your enemies, those who attack Mount Zion. Are you amazed and incredulous? Don't you believe it? I will astound you, God says, with wonder upon wonder upon wonder. You will be wonderstruck by what I choose to do on your behalf. And to me, the amazing thing about God's intervention is that he does this for a people who up till this point have been so asleep at the wheel that they're headed for the ditch and a certain crash. This is God's grace in action. Because like you and me, and God says it, these people are hypocrites. They are spiritually lethargic. They may even be totally asleep at the wheel. But God chooses to intervene and wake them up from their apathy and their sleep. I love Hezekiah's feeble but very honest and real prayer in Isaiah 37.4. It's not really full of much faith at all. He barely mumbles out the prayer, perhaps the Lord has heard us. That's the best he can muster up. And God responds. God responds in such a powerful way and a divine way that the wisdom of the wise can't explain it. The intelligence of the intelligent leaves them totally tongue-tied. Why? Because God intervened in their lives and in their nation in a way that could not be explained by naturalistic mechanisms, and it left them wonderstruck. Flipping over into the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, Paul says the, and uses the exact same language to describe what it is that God did for us in Jesus. He says, I will confound the wonders of the wise, the wisdom of the wise. What I do in sending my son in self-giving love and sacrifice on the cross for the sins of those who actively reject and walk away from me, that is confounding the wisdom of the wise. It doesn't make any sense except but God's divine intervention and grace. As we move into a time of response this morning, I'd like to suggest to you that just like you and I every day have a couple of strategies that we put in place or key ways that we might actually wake up morning by morning, these might be good parallels for us to understand what it is and some mechanisms that God sometimes chooses to use to wake us up from spiritual slumber and apathy. And the first way uh, is... 
the way of circumstances that God can use to wake us up. Sometimes when we're on autopilot, something happens in our lives externally that flips that switch for us. Pain comes into our lives. Loss comes into our experience. Cancer diagnoses. A friend around the same age who experiences something significant that just shakes us a national or international tragedy, and suddenly the landscape of our lives that was so predictable and monotonous is upended in some significant way, and it causes us to wake up. It's not easy to stay asleep anymore when the circumstances and terrain around you changes. C.S. Lewis wrote in 1940 in the midst of the Second World War, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, when our finances shift, when our geography shifts, when our relational worlds experience sudden disequilibrium in them, it often wakes us up to the fact that we may have been on autopilot in that area of our lives. And today that might describe you or a portion of your life. It might describe someone in your neighborhood, someone in your school or workplace. Maybe they've been bumping along just merrily until circumstances of life change and shift. And now man-made rules learned by rote don't quite seem sufficient to address the challenges of life. Maybe you've gone through an experience yourself or in the midst of one where metaphorically speaking, your life is under siege. And that same set of routines and the uh, autopilot just it doesn't cut it anymore. And so you begin to ask new questions and explore new possibilities. When the circumstances in ancient Israel changed, the people experienced this new reality. And Isaiah 29, 18 and 19 rings with hope for those who feel that their circumstances are overwhelming them. And the scripture says, in that day, the blind will see through the gloom and darkness and those who are humble will find themselves filled with fresh joy. Isaiah 29 19 from the Lord. The poor will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. And so maybe if your circumstances are such that you feel that disequilibrium, maybe for you today a response might look like going over and engaging with our prayer team. Chris and Clausen will be over at the side. Spencer and Allie will be over at the side. Meg and I will be over at this side. And we would love to serve you in that way and pray with you and stand with you in prayer about the circumstances of your life and ask God to touch you in a fresh and unique way to intervene in power. So circumstances can be a way of waking us up. The second way that you might wake up in the morning more often, circumstances are more like a bird outside of your window that starts chirping really loudly. We have birds now, they're horrifically monotonous. They sing the same song all of the time. I'm hoping we can get some other birds outside of our windows. So that might be circumstantial things that wake you up. Uh, Also, most of us probably wake up more, though, by choice than by circumstance in the morning. Uh, This would be like setting your alarm, choosing to wake up. You're choosing 
to actually come out of that slumber. Hezekiah made an intentional choice in this instance to turn to God in prayer. And autopilot apathy can happen to us in any areas of our lives. And we can make choices as we either begin to feel ourselves drifting or when we realize that we've kind of headed onto the shoulder and are headed for the ditch. Marriages drift into places of apathy and complacency. Our work and vocation can drift outside of places of holy calling and into monotonous, mindless punching of clocks. Parenting strategies can fail to shift as kids move into the teenage years. And suddenly we realize that unless you make different choices about our lives and experiences, we're going to get that same soul-numbing effect that has begun to seep its way into our hearts over and over and over again. Psychologists tell us that, that this kind of autopilot is often the source of midlife crises. After growing through the routines of our lives for years unexamined, suddenly we wake up and we think, I have no friends, I'm stuck in a job that I hate, and I have no fulfillment in any area of my life. I have to do something. And so sometimes choices made in these places can be deeply and profoundly unhealthy. Some are very mild. My father-in-law bought a midlife crisis car. We tried not to judge him. He sold it several years later when he realized the folly of his ways. And some of you dye your hair different colors. That's all right. Pretty mild. But some choices that can be made to sort of vault ourselves out of these experiences can be much more unhealthy and leave us um, either with escapist tendencies, seeking and choosing extramarital sexual excitement, either online or in person, that brings deep wounds to your soul. Choosing escapist tendencies in any number of areas of our lives. In somehow attempting to keep your soul from falling asleep. If this is you, Isaiah 29, 24 says this, For those that are asleep, the wayward must gain understanding. And complainers need to accept instruction. You might need to make an intentional choice in your life today either to stop doing something or to start doing something. You may want to start doing something to choose to maybe get up early in the morning on Wednesdays and go to Jericho Corner Starbucks, meet with the other women who are there, who do their journaling together, look into the Bible and and start a new habit for you with people that would love to help you with that. You might want to make a choice and come early on Sundays for pre-gathering prayer. Maybe just start once a month. Come at 9.45 up to the fourth floor. We'd love to pray with you. You don't even have to say anything. You can just sit around and watch other people pray and listen. You may want to choose to step out of your comfort zone or help your family step out of their comfort zones Think about your kids inviting other kids to summer camp. Take one of the postcards home with you. Walk across the street. I know for me, I felt like I was on autopilot in a season of my life just before I went with our team a number of years ago to Guatemala. And there's nothing quite like getting outside of your comfort zone in a cross-cultural setting, ministering to other people and learning 
and exploring to kind of wake you up a little bit more to the fact that you've been on autopilot. And so maybe this morning, maybe you need to set aside your March break plans for 2014 and come with the team to Guatemala next year. Maybe you want to go this fall or this summer with Spencer and Allie to Montreal and serve uh, San Jose Church there in Laval. I know for us as a family, certainly going to Africa this summer has certainly kept us wide awake (laughs) in our routines, in our prayers, in our dependence on God. When you make a choice to do something outside of your routine and that's a little bit scary for you, it it has a way of waking you up. It kickstarts your faith in profound ways. So maybe, maybe for you, you need to just think about, is God asking you to take a risk in a particular area of your life that you've just stayed in your comfort zone for way, way too long? What one choice would you make this week that might help to wake you up? Write it down and tell a friend and have some accountability around that. The final way that sometimes God can wake us up is through catalytic experiences or people. These, are, these catalysts are, are beyond kind of what happens to us circumstantially. They're beyond maybe choices we can make. They might be unique moments or people or relationships that God uses us to nudge us off the path of continuing to go through the motions day after day after day. Sometimes a spiritual friendship over time can transform us and wake us up in ways that it's not, it's not necessarily a, a, a momentary circumstantial jolt, but these individuals help us over time to reframe the way that God is working in our lives and to pay attention to things. Over time, they call us on selfishness and hypocrisy. Sometimes in worship, in song, God might speak to you in a powerful way that becomes catalytic in your life. And this is for me where our emphasis in 2013, our core emphasis on scripture reflection and prayer is, comes into play. I'm learning this year for me to approach my time in scriptures differently, to actually ask God to use that time in the mornings as a catalyst to transform my heart and change me for that day, to actually pray before I open God's word and do my Project 345 reading to say, God, I actually want you to wake me up this morning. I want this to be like like coffee to me that I'm going to pair with good coffee and drink that so I'm waking up while I'm reading this and paying attention to what it is you're saying. But I want to pay attention to what you're saying to me today. I want you, I want this to be a, a moment of catalyst in my life for the day today. I want, when I look into God's Word, for Him to strike me again with the wonder and mystery and majesty that the God of the universe wants to speak to me in his word, wants to speak to you in his word, to take me off autopilot and to cause me to wake up to what he's doing around me. I pray that that would be your prayer too. Let me pray for you to that end and Dustin and the team are gonna come up and lead us in a few songs of response. God, we, we so easily